Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Well, it's good, Alaska. This is Scott Levesque, and you're listening to the midweek edition of the Must Read Alaska podcast. I want to welcome everybody. If you're listening to this today, this is New Year's Eve. I want you to be safe, have a great time, and uh, really celebrate 2020 uh, for all the silver linings that we can during this year. But uh, you might be listening to this into the new year, 2021, and just happy new year. Hopefully, 2021 is significantly better for you if you had a tough year and if you had a good year. Hopefully, it's still better than 2020 because uh, for many, there was uh, difficulty and uh, in the closing and throughout the 2020 year. But if you could just take a moment and give us a five-star review, that would be incredibly helpful for us. It helps push our podcast up to the top. It helps get people to, uh, to um, search and find our podcast. And it's just a great way to, uh, to really show that, uh, that we're providing some sort of value. And I hope that's what we do. We try to strive to do that all the time for our listeners as well as our readers. And if you want to take the extra step and give us a written review, we would appreciate that. We love hearing from you guys. You guys have been phenomenal, and we're very thankful, and uh, your support has been incredible, particularly as we've started this podcast. And believe it or not, we started it in, I think, either late August, early September, and it's grown significantly, and that's because of you. So thank you, and and we appreciate everything that our listeners do for us, including the support that you provide. And in saying that, at the end of the year, you know, we always want to keep Must Read Alaska going. Um, this operation is is something that is constantly evolving and growing. And of course, our fearless leader, Suzanne Downing, is, is at the forefront of that. And I appreciate working with her. I love working with her and John Quick. But this is an operation. And uh, if you love the content and you want us to, to continue to not just where we are in, in holding that bar, but also increasing the content. Uh, financial support is one of the best ways you can do that. So if you go to mustreadalaska.com and click the uh, support button and, and just donate, that was a huge help for, for us in helping to ensure that we continue to provide you with Great content, a lot of content, and timely content as well. So thank you. But as we uh, as we close out 2020, obviously there is a lot to talk about. And initially I had done a top 10 of this year's um, top storylines. And that ended up being a podcast that was well over an hour. And in deciding to not do that to you guys, because we try to keep our content concise and short and, and manageable in terms of listening... Uh, I decided to, instead of doing the top five, or excuse me, top 10, I'm going to do a top five. And in doing that, I'm obviously going to encapsulate a lot of subplots under these storylines. But I think it's important for us to to look at the top five storylines of 2020. And, and let me set the framework for this lens that I'm looking through. Again, this is my list. It's a subjective list. But it's based on uh, what you, the listener or the reader, have engaged in throughout the year. Uh, some of the major storylines in terms of uh, throughout Alaska, but also uh, storylines that have really shifted our political, socioeconomical landscape as well. And man, 2020 was that. 
So I want you to know that that's the framework from which I'm going to be uh, picking these top five storylines of 2020. But I also want you to know that I did not did not include COVID as a storyline. And the reason why is because it's universal. Everybody's going through it. And I really wanted to focus in on not so much COVID, because we obviously know what that has done, but some of the effects of this pandemic and it's in those effects on our economy, on our politics, and, and so forth. So I want to make sure that we're very clear as to why I personally picked the storylines I did. So with that being said, let's get into our top five storylines of 2020. So number five, number five is resource development in Alaska. That is the major storyline that I want to uh, to share with you guys as a top five story. Obviously, we have three major components to that. One is the Anwar lease sales that were um, still available now. And uh, one of the big stories of 2020 was Anwar has been, quote, opened up and available for for, uh, purchases of lease. The other thing that we want to talk about, obviously, is the Pebble Mine project and where that leaves us now. I mean, Pebble Mine had definitely its ups and downs this year. And uh, right now it's trending a, a little bit down <laughs> in terms of the fact that, um, you know, some major hits in the development side of of, uh, of the Pebble Mine. And then, of course, the Tungus National Forest and logging. And what does that look like? And I, I think all of these resource development ideas um, and storylines here in Alaska this year have all started with some promise. And some of those still have promise and none of those don't look so promising. And in, in, in the bottom line is this, is that Alaska's economic viability is rooted in its natural resource development. And so this year, as we looked at, you know, foresting, as we looked at mining, as we've looked at oil production and development, uh, those were a major storyline in 2020. And not all of them had the same ups and downs. I mean, obviously logging in uh, the Tungus National Forest didn't have the same sort of real world drama that the Pebble Mine did and certainly that Anwar has uh, longer than just this year. But the idea is, is that for the first time in 2020, Alaska and Alaskans felt like their resources were going to provide economic benefit to the state and its people. And that's a major storyline in 2020. And and I think a lot of that also interweaved into our politics. Obviously, the Pebble Mine um, ha- had a lot to do, particularly with some of uh, the the things that came out um, about Pebble Mine and, and all that interplayed with our our politics. And 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 when you have such uh, a stark contrast between what Alaskans want and some Alaskans don't want, and outside groups. Uh, it really was a major component of our 2020 year, which was, it felt like, finally, some progress towards natural resource development in Alaska. Now, where does that leave us as we enter 2021? Well, that's a great question. I mean, you know, the hope is, is that we can get some leases sold here up in Anwar to be able to start development in those areas. Uh, in terms of gas production and, and and exploration, but you know, again, that is that is sort of sitting on a on a very thin line right now. Obviously, the Pebble Mine is is at a at a standstill, and that's based on a lot of things, including you know, um, uh, at the federal level, not just at the state level. And then 
the, probably the least dramatic of it all uh, has been the Tungus National Forest. And and the reason that's been so not so dramatic is, is that uh, nothing has generally happened yet. And also with the Biden administration looming on January 20th, it, it looks like, you know, for all three of those projects, um, you know, an, a Biden administration is probably going to try to close, if not close down, any sort of development in Alaska for its natural resources, which then calls into question a long-term economic uh, concern, which is if Alaska can't develop its natural resources, where does that leave us? And, and where does that leave outside investments coming in, creating jobs, or even uh, within the state? Where does that leave uh, our ability for job creation? Where does that leave our ability for natural resource development in terms of um, you know economic viability with cash flow into the state? All of that is really at the question right now. So a huge storyline in 2020 was what seemed to be an optimistic view of natural resource development. And, and if Trump had been reelected or at least, um, you know, if, if Trump, well, it's really, if Trump was reelected, Alaskans really felt like that was going to be a, a really great silver lining in 2021 and beyond because that was what the Trump administration had done for Alaska. The Trump administration had been very good to Alaska in terms of deregulation, opening up the ability for Alaska to develop its own resources. But uh, as we head into 2021, I'm not sure what that looks like. And again, if I'm mixing up 2020 and 2021, forgive me. I, I, I'm trying to not do that, but man, it's crazy. So that was the number five storyline of 2020. Now, Let's move on to the number four storyline of 2020, and that is simply the emergency orders first brought in by the assembly given to the Berkowitz administration and now carried over into the Austin Quinn Davidson acting mayor administration and what that has done to Alaskans and the economy. As we were trying to figure out exactly what was going on in the early part of 2020 and what this pandemic and coronavirus and COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, was doing to uh, our state, uh, the infection rate in Alaska was slow in terms of how many people were testing positive for, for COVID-19. And if you remember as early as April and May, those numbers were relatively low on a per capita basis. Uh, and that's across the nation. But the assembly found it necessary to enact uh, a part of the charter that would allow the mayor and their administration to have emergency powers to combat any sort of public health crisis. And in doing so, we were promised that it was just going to be two weeks and that it's just to you know, cut the curve and make sure that we don't have any. There were a lot of promises made and we all remember those promises just two weeks, cut the curve. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, prior to even that, a lot of the rhetoric, even coming out of the national and federal agencies, was just wash your hands, cover your mouth. I, I don't know if you guys remember this because it feels like it was five years ago, but it was less than a year ago. Just cover your mouth when you sneeze or cough, wash your hands, make sure you wash services, uh, just take care. Restaurants were told to, to make sure that they sanitize on a over-regular basis, we were all told that. And then cases started to go up, and then it was, okay, we need to, we need to kind of limit 
uh, the amount of people in areas. Then it cases kept going up. And then it was more, okay, we need to start restricting places and people from going to places, keeping in mind that none of the big box stores or national chains were ever affected by this. So thus, we had a growing concern that emergency powers were not just uh, were, were reaching into the public spaces, but also eventually, as we ended in 2020, we're reaching into the private areas of our uh, lives, including our homes, including our cars, including how many people could come over for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Those, those demands, those emergency powers that are supposed to t- protect, quote unquote, the public from itself in the public now began to uh, rear their ugly head in our own private spaces, including our homes and our cars and in those areas. And so emergency powers, emergency orders were really the storyline of 2020. And that's our number four storyline. And it really pervades from the beginning of those emergency powers with the Berkowitz administration all the way till today as uh, Austin Quinn Davidson had had just announced uh, yesterday, and that's a Wednesday, of new executive orders, executive powers, EO, I believe, 17, which will allow a percentage of people to go back into uh, stores and restaurants and so forth. But but really, the storyline this year has been the 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 use, the gross misuse of executive powers by the Anchorage municipality and, and particularly the mayor and, and their administration. It's been it's been pretty phenomenal. And in doing this, what has happened politically here in Anchorage and, and even across the state, you're starting to see a pushback from uh those who who in our community want liberty and freedom and and want to just not just assume things in terms of science, but want to look at the broader scope of what this pandemic has done. And so sort of a a, a pushback, a, a cause, which is the executive order, the effect of that has been political discourse like never before. There has been all throughout the summer of 2020 in Alaska, there have been demonstrations that the Lusak Library have been phenomenal. I've been I've been out there covering it uh, during um, assembly meetings in the Lusak Library. There have been people outside protesting the idea of executive orders and the the mandates. Uh, there was a dance protest because an executive order by the Berkowitz administration said you couldn't dance or sing. Uh, there have been protests by churches. Uh, including uh, many around uh, the community saying, hey, listen, our First Amendment rights are, are being violated here. Uh, we're going to meet and assemble. So there have been a lot of protests that have gone out in regards to this emergency power and emergency orders uh, by both administrations here in Anchorage. And it's been a powerful tool for a lot of people to rally together. There have been people that have gotten together on on social media, forming groups. There have been people that have been putting on political po- protests. Uh, candidates have emerged because of these executive orders, uh, for uh, which will again we could talk about later. But I mean, um, those who have opposed 
these executive orders and the use of these executive orders have now stepped up to for candidates for mayor here in Anchorage uh, during the 2021 election. I mean, the ripple effect of of the powers that were at some people may consider uh, just abused have been pretty astounding. And the storylines out of those executive orders are going to have a long-term ripple effect on the landscape here in Anchorage specifically. But I think when you have the biggest city in Alaska, that has a ripple effect across the board here in Alaska. I mean, every borough and every municipality is autonomous, obviously, but but with Anchorage, it really does have a long-term effect on Alaska itself. So in a sense, this has sort of created a new um, awareness of both the political process, about candidates, about dissatisfaction and how to do it proactively and and what that looks like. But even out of that, there has been birthed candidates who are now going to be running for high political office that have opposed this, that are now going to use that platform to run. And so it'll be interesting to say, but definitely the number four storyline here for 2020 has been the abuse and use of the emergency orders and you know emergency powers by the both Berkowitz and Quinn Davidson administration. Now, let's talk about story number three. And we don't have to travel far for that, but we have to travel right to the two most uh, polarizing ordinances that were passed in 2020. And it was in the summer of 2020 in August. And that was uh, AO65, which was the ban on what the assembly termed was conversion therapy. And in conjunction with that was AO66 was the CARES Act fund money used to purchase real estate by the municipality using CARES Act money for homeless services and the homeless uh, to shelter them as well. Those two ordinances had a massive impact on the landscape in Alaska and more specifically in Anchorage. And I'll tell you why. Because it was a gross misuse of power by the assembly, but not only that, what spawned out of those um, those ordinances were people in the community rising up to to come against, uh, I would say, elected officials who do not. Well, let me let me rephrase that. I think one of the biggest impacts and effects of this were that the community of Anchorage rallied together to show their disdain for elected officials who do not represent their community, or at least a majority of their community, which was perceived. It was really interesting to see. I mean, you had a week long of public testimony when it came to AO66, the use of CARES Act funds to purchase buildings for homeless services and the homeless. A week long of public testimony of people expressing their disdain and their uh, disgust of the use of this instead of giving it to those who are in need right now within the community to help keep our economic viability or people in the community right now that are, are trying to continue their livelihood so that they don't lose their jobs, they don't lose their homes and and become a part of that community, the homeless community, which has been overrun here in Anchorage. Instead of that, they were going to purchase buildings to house the homeless instead of providing, I don't know, 
nonprofit and private sector organizations that do this and help giving them resources. I mean, that wasn't even something that was brought up at all. But the fact that the municipality was getting involved with it really angered the community. And not only that, where those buildings were, why having homeless population in those communities would, would present a problem. All of that was was articulated during this public testimony. And really what it ended up being is the same response for AO66, the CARES Act fund issue, as well as AO65, which was the, quote, trans, uh, conversion therapy uh, ordinance, was met with the assembly by the essentially the same thing, which was the assembly name-called those who expressed concern for the ordinance, either calling them homophobic, either calling them racist, or, or everything under the sun, instead of listening to the community. Now, do I think that everybody who spoke was able to speak articulately or shared the same value as everybody that was in that, that cascade of, of public testimony? No, absolutely not. We all have our own opinion. But to generalize and categorize an entire group of concerned community members as racist or homophobic or whatever that was named was a big storyline. It was really the tipping point for many of the community members here in Alaska. And I think it's a massive storyline. It really is a massive storyline because that was the tipping point for a lot of, it went from people being really concerned and frustrated to, to what seems to be now an anger towards elected officials here on the assembly and in, and in the administration as well. That was the tipping point, and it only increased. And what made it even worse was that a lot of these votes took place when nobody was in there to give public testimony in person. That was the big tipping point, was that individuals could not actually go and look the assembly members in the face, regardless if they believe it would have mattered or not, and say to those assembly members, listen, this is why I think this is wrong. Some had the opportunity to do so, for sure, but when the votes were taking place, it was done. It, 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 I would say the majority of the individuals I talked to, majority of you who either listened or read, felt the same way. Not everybody. That it just it felt wrong. It felt like this was a setup. So regardless if that's true or not, I think it's a major storyline of 2020 and one that has going to have a ripple effect far into 2020. Excuse me. Major storyline in 2020, which will have a far-reaching impact, not only in 2021 with the uh, Anchorage mayor race, but also in 2022 when assembly seats are up uh, for another election. I think it's going to have a far-reaching impact in that as well. So that is storyline number three. Okay, let's get into storyline number two. Storyline number two has been a fan favorite for a while, and I, and I don't mean that in the sense of, well, I personally don't like the downfall of any person, uh, but the Ethan Berkowitz, Maria Athens fiasco is got to be storyline number two. And, story and, and some of you are going to say, Scott, that's got to be storyline number one. Well, not in my book. But storyline number two, the top, out of the top five stories, number two has got to be the Ethan Berkowitz, Maria Athens storyline. And, and it's really an important 
landscape-changing story. Now, of course, everybody loves the drama and salacious details of what happened between Maria Athens and Ethan Berkowitz. Everybody loves the idea because as humans, we, we, we crave drama. We, we like seeing the train wreck happen in person because we can't look away. And in this story, it provided everything we were looking for. It actually made national news. It was salacious. It was detailed. It was had a, a level of drama to it. Um, it. You know, there were some that, things that were true about it. There were definitely some things that were false about it. We had the gamut. It was a novella, soap opera, galore. It was. Uh, I'm trying to remember the the one life to live. I think was a soap opera that my mom back in the day used to watch. I remember that for whatever the reason. But it had all the makings of a drama. And we all remember that. And I think, you know, some of us who have been frustrated may have looked at that and said, well, hey, that's what you deserve. And and, and my personal take on this is that, listen, there was more than just Ethan and, and, and Maria, I mean, Ethan's wife and kids were involved. Maria's family was involved. So we got to look beyond that in terms of celebrating the downfall of people. But I will say this, the actual idea of what happened goes at the core of what a lot of people are frustrated in politics about, which is the hypocrisy. The idea that people have or believe that they are the moral operators or, or have a, a high, that take the moral high ground, and then these things come out, it, it, what it does is it provides a disservice to politics and public service in general. And it's something I've warned against the assembly. I mean, the assembly have taken the moral high ground in their mind so many times, have said that their way or their ideas are morally superior, or they know what's best for the community as opposed to the community itself, that I, I often get concerned that you know what happened to Ethan could or may happen to somebody on the assembly. And, and that's a concern for me because you know I never want our public officials to fall flat on their face in the sense of public trust waning in any sort of public office. Because those seats change all the time. But the idea of a, a seat having a lack of trust or, or the, the office having a lack of trust really supersedes the person. And that's my concern. And that's the same thing with the, you know, with Ethan Berkowitz and, and the Marie Athens story. But the ripple effect of this story, again, we can all talk about the salacious, um, sexy details of what was going on. And, and while those are there, trust me, if you, wanted, if you wanted drama and you wanted the works, this was your story. Particularly if you were somebody who did not like the Berkowitz administration, along with the the ideas and the and the policies and and the emergency orders that were coming out of that administration, you were you were very much interested and attuned to what was going on. But what was the ripple effect in Alaska? And I think that's really what people are missing. Listen, Ethan Berkowitz was the Democratic poster boy for a potential governor run. Think about that. The Democrats' best chance at getting somebody into office at the governor's in Juneau, the best chance for them to put somebody into office at the helm of governor of Alaska was Ethan Berkowitz. And just like that, in a matter of a week, even less, 
that landscape has changed completely. Because I could I could tell you this, it would be it would be hard pressed to run Ethan as a candidate for governor right now. I mean, that has been shot. That is done. That is not happening, at least anytime soon. So now you have this kind of void. And so who's gonna who, where's that what's who's gonna fill that void? Who's gonna fill the vacuum of that? And that's really the question. And so as as we look at the train wreck that's happened, we not, we often just look at the train wreck and and don't look at what happens with the rubble and what that train wreck means. And so the idea that this was just, quote, a salacious story that affected two people and their families and that's it and that's done is, is, is nonsense. The reason why this is number two on the top five list of storylines is because it has political ramifications throughout the state. With Ethan now out of the picture, who fills the void for the Democrats here in Alaska? And that's the question. Who fills that void? And I don't know if the Democrats have that answer yet. I'm sure they're formulating, if not already have somebody in mind. But there is no clear-cut candidate to run for governor against uh, our current governor, Mike Dunleavy. There's nobody. They don't have a person right now in their midst that it has the prominence, that has the high... Um, visibility. I mean, we all know that a lot of politics has to do with name recognition just as much as it has to do with policy, if not more at times, political, uh, specifically when it comes to local politics. But who do they have? And, and I think what we need to be careful of as we're looking at these storylines, particularly in this one, is that it's not just the wreck, but it's the rubble left behind. So the number two storyline, I mean, by and large, was one of the most trending nationally for Alaska in terms of outside of just natural resources, but trending and on all over, like it was all over national media just as much as local media was the Ethan Berkowitz, Maria Athens story. And really the ramifications of that story are going to go beyond just, hey, it was a, you know, for those who really love drama, was a great drama. It really has a major political ramification for the Democrats because there is no clear-cut person. There isn't. So it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen over the next couple of years in terms of positioning a, a potential candidate to run against Dunleavy for the governor's race. It really is going to, and it'll emerge those will emerge, but really, this this the scandal that happened created such a void for the Democrats that I don't know if if they're going to have enough to really change that momentum. Ethan Berkowitz was the poster child and was the tapped chosen one to run. Now what happens? Now what happens? Well. I can tell you that uh, that storyline was a tough one not to put at number one, okay? Uh, I would say that that had everything that you could possibly think of in terms of a number one storyline. But the reality is, um, and I know it might sound cheesy, really the number one storyline, and again, remember what I said to you in the beginning, it was through the lens of us here at Must Read Alaska. The number one storyline is you the reader and you the listener 
and those who are who are fans and supporters of Must Read Alaska. And I know that sounds cheesy. I know it does. I know that sounds cheesy, but hear me out. This year has been an incredible year for Must Read Alaska. I joined the team in August. I know John was on the team for uh, a while before me. But the amount of traction, the amount of uh, views, the amount of downloads, the amount of uh, social media engagement, um, some of our new partnerships that we've been uh, fortunate enough, thanks to John, to really engage in, have been so phenomenal, have been f- just absolutely out of this world, that it, it's really hard for me to not put you, the reader and listener, at the number one storyline here at Must Read Alaska. Whether it's Newsbreak, whether it's the fact that we launched both an Android and an Apple app for you guys to get all the content without having to go online, whether it's you going online to the website or going to Facebook and or if it's downloading this podcast, the real storyline for us and Must Read Alaska in 2020 was you, the reader, the listener, the supporter of Must Read Alaska. And I can't tell you how grateful we are here at Must Read Alaska for you guys. And, and I know it seems cheesy, but it's really not. We have exponentially grown over the last year in terms of our positioning within the, the global world of page views to here in Alaska just being, I believe it, the last time we looked at, just 4,000 positions behind uh, Anchorage Daily News. Uh, that's huge. That means we are the second most read news site in Alaska. And listen, I know with the leadership of Suzanne Downing and and with John's leadership and with me just riding those coattails that we can really be the news outlet for our conservative individuals, our conservative readers, listeners, and supporters to give you really the other side of what mainstream media is giving you. And so you may think it's cheesy, you may not think it's true, but it really is. Here at Must Read Alaska, the number one story, at least through our lens, at least through my lens, let me put it to you that way, has been you, the reader. It's been you, the listener. It's been you, the supporter. And all I can ask is that if we can just continue that momentum into 2021, it is going to be an incredible year. We can build upon what we, as a collective community here, you know, Suzanne leading the way and and, and us just building this community can do. And it's it's really a testament to you guys. We thank you so much. And it really is our storyline. For me, just looking at what has happened at Must Read Alaska, the events we covered, the articles read, the podcast launching, the app launching, our partnerships, all of that has all been so that we can provide you, the listener, the reader, and the supporter with all the content you need so you can be up to date what's going on here in Alaska. And that's the most important thing we can do. So the number one story, the number one storyline, the number one thing here at Must Read Alaska that I feel that has been a just has impacted Alaska based on just the numbers, based on you, based on what you've done as as your support for this community is you here at Must Read Alaska. It's you, the listener, the reader, and the supporter because we have seen incredible gains in terms of our reach here in Alaska based on your support and you sharing our content, you sharing our videos and you sharing our podcast so that people can understand a different view, not just the ADN, uh, not just mainstream media, not just what what we feel like is is a very biased and leftist leaning viewpoint, 
but really get a full picture of what's going on. And we really are appreciative of of you guys for doing that. So thank you. This has been a, an incredible year. Our hope is that 2021 is that much better, that we can really build upon the momentum that you provided us. And I want to thank you guys for a great year. I've loved being a part of this ride. It's been incredible. It's been fun, but it's also been challenging. And I think it's been challenging for everybody. And so it's people, it's supporters like you that have made Must Read Alaska an enjoyable ride for all of us here. So for me to you, have a great new year. Be safe out there if you're listening right now uh, and it's New Year's Eve. But if it's 2021, let's kick 2021 off better than we did in 2020 and let's have a phenomenal year and let's make sure Alaska continues to be an incredible place because of its people, not just because we think it is. So thank you. Have a great new year and take care.